0: Good morning. Good morning. It is Sunday morning and you are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. Now, if you haven't joined us before, then welcome. You have joined a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond who share with us their decision making and their subsequent consequences and regardless of age their innate wisdom now by discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives or in our community and develop programs that found more sustainable loving and heartfelt ways to be with each other thereby improving our physical and our mental health my show today is on breast cancer care now the statistics are pretty scary. According to the Cancer Council, for and this is for all cancers, one in two Australians will be diagnosed with cancer by the age of 85, and it's the leading cause of death in Australia. Like that's that's big. Now the other thing to remember is that it's a chronic disease. Now it's not um, it's not necessarily the diagnosis doesn't mean that you will. You will pass over. You will die. So if that's the case, how we care for ourselves, how we receive this diagnosis, how we treat people, how we um, love people and have those conversations is going to be even more important, even if it wasn't considered important before. Now, specific to breast cancer, 18,087 Australian women are estimated to be diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018, that is approximately 49 people each day, 49 women each day. Each of those statistics are people though, aren't they? You know, 18,087, 50 people a day. They're people. And there's a ripple effect. I remember when I had uh, my breast cancer scare, I just considered me, but I considered everyone that was going to be affected by anything I said to them, even if it was, I'm going for tests. Now, I came out having um, not having breast cancer. Mine were cysts. And to be honest with you, I dealt with them in exactly the same way. Because when I had the scare, when they called me back, when they had to do further investigation, I immediately said, right, there are things that I'm going to change. I can see that I'm doing too much. I can see that I'm pushing through. I can see that I'm not doing too much with any grace, that actually I'm grumpy and I'm tired and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The honesty that came in with that moment of realization that actually my body had said, you know what, enough. I can't, I can't carry on with you anymore the way you're pushing through. That realization was the moment I went, okay, I have a choice. What do I do? One of the things and where I would like to start is introducing you to two women who have both been on the show before. Katie Walls, a health practitioner who works with Gentle Rhythms. She's also in HR. She's, she works extremely long hours. She um, volunteers an incredible amount. She does it all from a, a foundation of practice of making sure that she doesn't share beyond what she lives in her life she's worked with women with breast issues with breast cancer with uh, mothering issues with all all everything that that is a woman that a woman hangs on to or strives to be or denies and Donna Giannotis, who is, who has been on the show before, she uh, practices esoteric therapies. She is a she's been a yoga instructor. She um, has had a diagnosis of breast cancer about ten years ago. Yes, I believe so. She says through the interview. Now I um, had a catch up on on Skype earlier this week with them both and this is the interview that we recorded. I'm going to chop it up so that I can chat with you in between and we can have some music. But one of the things that I wanted to ask Donna was what happens, you know, when you have a diagnosis, it just seems to me that everybody speaks to you in a different way. There is a, um, there's a, there's something that drops in and I can't quite put my finger on it but having having been the person that has done that oh I'm really sorry before or done the sympathy route I wanted to know from her what it felt like and so here um, in all honesty is what she shared back when you have had a diagnosis of breast cancer from that moment on you have a lived experience in your body that I feel that what you have to share is so valuable because we can talk about what it looks like and the statistics and the numbers and how we can offer care but you can talk about what it feels like to be spoken to and to be you know how do how do people speak to you when they know you've had a diagnosis of cancer perhaps we could start there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I found it very interesting when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, which was, you know, over ten years ago, back in two thousand and eight. And at the time, um, you know, I was I was really young, I was thirty three at the time, so it was quite interesting how people responded to to my diagnosis and i guess you know what comes through a lot of the time when you you know when you tell people that hear about it was is a lot of sympathy um and it was interesting because at the time i remember feeling that when people sort of spoke to me and offered sympathy how awful that actually felt and people often think you want sympathy but what i discovered is that um, in that sympathy it didn't actually really help me at all It just um it it was kind of it felt weird in my body it just kind of felt like oh okay it's almost like confirming that i had the cancer but it kind of just kept me in in a stuckness i'm not sure if that makes sense but um you know what i found is that i actually had to cut cut that sympathy that was coming through and say to people you know it's okay Um, i'm okay to talk about it i'm okay to Uh, Because often people, you know, have their own things around how they feel around um, a diagnosis. So they kind of come loaded to you, talking to you about it. Of course, they're wanting to help and they're wanting to support. But what I found the best support was when someone could just simply be with whatever I shared um, without going into sympathy, without going into um, feeling sorry for me in any way, just to simply listen and to hear and that was the most
0: supportive for me. We're so not taught how to do that, are we? We're so taught that sympathy is something we should champion. There's an expression, it's like, oh, it's like, oh, are you okay with that? And, you know, I've fallen for that so many times myself because you you want to let the person know that you care deeply and, and chances are you do care deeply. But Correct. you're looking yeah. out of your eyes at someone else and presuming that they're not equipped to deal with what the what they've been given or, or what uh, the illness is. And that already
1: puts you as less. It's almost as seeing you as the illness as opposed to the woman who just happens to have had a diagnosis. So there's almost this feeling of, oh, something's wrong with me, rather than just communicating with the woman as though um, you know not that nothing's happened but that she's no less just because she's had a diagnosis and it was interesting today I was actually speaking with somebody um, from an organization a breast cancer organization and I was sharing with her um, about some of the work that I do working with women with breast cancer, and told her about my own diagnosis, and it was interesting because she went into sympathy with me. And um, again, I was like, wow, ten years later, and I'm still getting sympathy, but I I have no, you know, um, no want for that sympathy whatsoever. Um, and and again, I just had to, you know, talk about it very clearly, and and that immediately cut that sympathy. Um, but it is interesting even, you know, 10 years down the track that that sympathy still comes through, which doesn't actually help anyone or benefit anyone.
0: Mm. Katie, you, you work with women all the time and you have these conversations with women who've had breast cancer a lot of the time. How do you have those conversations?
2: Yeah, I think exactly like, like Donna's been expressing um, People just often don't know how to relate when something's so huge, you know, they've been shared something so huge. And often we're not very equipped um, to deal with that because it might be a surprise or we know, you know, we can imagine, I suppose we don't personally know what someone's going through, the implications of that news, depending on when they've been told of their diagnosis, how that's impacting the family. It's, it's you know, it's a, it's a huge thing for a woman and anyone who loves her to go through so that often brings up things in people that they mightn't even expect themselves, feelings that they mightn't expect, and and how they relate to that um, too. So I feel it's absolutely gold what we're talking about and what Donna's offering is, you know, to be there for that woman, you know, the, all of her, um, and and to not define um, her for for what she's going through at that time. And but no one's perfect in that. And, you know we are human so just being real with whatever comes up considering the statistics one in eight we know women that are going through this or have gone through this diagnosis themselves so you know unfortunately being such a common statistic um, it does touch us in in many different ways
0: I'm wondering in terms of feeling that when you have a conversation with someone Donna and you get that sympathetic response does it make it then hard to ask for help or to be open for help because the help might also come loaded with that sympathy?
1: It's a really good point, Lucy. Um, And at the time when I was going through my diagnosis and treatment for breast cancer, um, the way I worked with that was just uh, what I found is the more... That I didn't allow that sympathetic energy and and the way I I did that was just by simply um, I guess not not going into it myself Um, then I found that the other person then tended to drop it because they could see that I was just normal and and talking like I would normally be and I didn't want that sympathy so um, you know I guess I took the responsibility from my side And as I worked with it from my side, then, um, you know, it kind of just immediately alleviated that that was there for the other person.
0: Yeah, amazing. So it actually came from you taking the lead to go, I'm fine. I'm still the same person as you saw the last time and i think that's really important
1: for women going through breast cancer empowering them um and you know often because i work quite a lot with women going through breast cancer and and often share with them that it's it's okay um to be vulnerable it's okay to let yourself be upset in front of your family and things like that but that's not necessarily seeking sympathy you're just being as katie was sharing you're just being real with how you are and the more real you are then the more real your friends, family, colleagues, those who who support you can be with you. Otherwise, what often tends to happen is, you know, the, the sympathy comes from the, the colleagues or the carers or the family and then you go into the poor me sort of thing and then this whole thing plays out and no one's actually really being real. Yeah. So, you know, for me, I found me just being real and and allowing myself that, to be in that vulnerability Um, then allowed those around me to be real as well. And often, and you know what I can share with women is, you know, you may need to be the first person who, even though you're the one with the diagnosis, you may need to be that person who brings that to your family. But once they get that, they'll come on board and it'll make you all um, grow deeper in connection as well because you're actually operating from your realness. As opposed to, you know, people in from protection and feeling like they have to be strong or they have to be uh, a certain way, um, and it can be a really beautiful healing process for for the entire family or or, or, or network.
0: I'm also hearing that that's that opportunity to be real and honest. It's um, it it allows the space for someone to be angry, to be upset, to, um, even, even if it's one of your, the people in your life, to give them the space to say that they are scared that you're going to go because, you know, cancer once was, was you were most likely to die from it. Now it's a chronic illness. It actually is something you live with as opposed to die from in a lot of cases not all cases obviously but a lot of the cancers have now become chronic conditions as opposed to acute and life-threatening or life-ending. Uh, that to me um, that's still the word sends reverberations right the way through um, families and And the ability to express that fear and concern is great for everybody. Because if nobody is mentioning the unmentionable, it's all spoken about, and then the whole conversation's loaded as well, isn't it? Very true, Lucy, an
2: awesome point. Um, I I haven't experienced—I have not experienced breast breast cancer myself, but I had um, a melanoma on my face, and when I was letting the family know that I had to have surgery, etc. Um, two of the kids went straight to "Mom's going to die,"
1: mm.
2: and I had I hadn't gone there, and I didn't actually think they would go there, but they did, and they just um, you know they just started sobbing and sobbing, and I didn't realise they had gone there until the next day um, when one of them mentioned something to me. So you know, and it's really important to you know patient and and to um, see where people do go with it as well
0: been talking this morning with Katie Walls and Donna Geonotis who are hosting a breast cancer care retreat on the 9th of September. One of the things that I really picked up from that first part of the interview was what someone who is supporting or listening or hears about the diagnosis, what fears they bring to what they hear. And i I feel that that's something that's that's worth teasing out for a little bit because if you think about it, um, the person who's sharing is sharing because they need some support or they love you, want you to know. And how quickly do we as listeners bring in our own loss as opposed to be there for the person who's sharing? Now, there's no point in beating ourselves up for doing it because I reckon that it's part and parcel of what we do and it takes practice not to do it. And the only way we can practice something is to actually be aware that we are doing it because otherwise it's just something that happens faster uh, than we can actually do anything about. But by becoming aware of it, we offer our bodies an opportunity to configure in a different way and the next time we're sitting down with someone and they share something with us we're there and listening to them with our whole body and it and it will be all about them until such time as you are able to find a moment where you can actually go wow what did I just hear what did I just listen to how am I feeling about that so top tips on how to start with that because there's no point in Putting something out there and then not giving you a, a, a guide of how to get going with it, is to consider um, how often you have normal day-to-day chit-chat conversations. There might be nothing like big shared, but how quickly you go into making it about you when someone is sharing something about them. I, uh, I hear it with teenagers a lot. And perhaps what you could actually start by observing other people's conversations, and that way you'll be more aware of of your pattern of behaviour. That's certainly the way I went. I just actually started listening, <laughs> Duh. Um, and and I listened to teenagers, and I listened to my kids, and I listened to their friends, and I listened to the to the kids at work. And what I found was that they'd someone would say something. And someone else in the group would go, oh, I know that, or I did this, or I did that. No, I did that. And they're not competing with each other, but they are having statement conversations where they each compete for who experienced it the worst or who had the, the biggest um, experience as opposed to another. And it might be that it's about Putting someone down—it might be about an event on the weekend. It might be about something stupid that they did in their in their eyes, something silly. But all of them are trying to outdo each other. So um, have a look, see if that's something that you're aware of, that you do, that you've done, that you notice in other people. And once you start noticing it, then consider the next time you're in a conversation with someone, tease out what they're sharing with you just a little bit further. In mental health, for example, which we talk about a lot on this show, when we have something like Are You Okay Day, there's no point in saying Are You Okay to someone if you're not prepared to actually listen with your whole body to the answer. The answer may be, yeah, I'm great. The way they move might not match. Yeah, I'm great. You then have to discern do I take that further? Or or is that as far as they're willing to go with me? And then you leave it. From what I've noticed, people are very keen to share with you when something is wrong and they leave little um, clues everywhere. We're just not very good at picking them up because we're not listening with our whole body or we're not really listening. We are thinking in our head either about what's coming next or what we want to say next. I've been talking with Katie Walls and Donna Gianotis, who are hosting a breast cancer care retreat on the 9th of September. Now, there are many conversations that we might have with people um, yet don't have. Uh, we kind of hold off having them uh, and the stress of the illness can sometimes bring it to the fore and be a great opportunity to have those conversations for a deeper connection and for a deeper healing with the people around us it's not about stopping a conversation it's about having real conversations. so um, uh, those real and not everybody will be able to handle those real conversations at that time and it's about finding the right person to have those conversations with I guess Yeah, and the
2: support may not necessarily come from the people that you feel it may have. Mm. Exactly like you say, we don't know what people's personal experience have been in life or what it brings up for people. And I suppose that's a great point um, for someone going through that is to just look at where you normally get your support and it may be that support is coming elsewhere or you may feel to talk to other people that may not be necessarily your normal go-to people, so to speak, but to really give Give the woman that opportunity to um see what's best for her rather than feeling obligated to be sharing it with certain people, but you know to really assess what is going to support her in that time.
0: Be, be, taking it slightly more general, do you think women have expectations of where support is going to come from, and then when it doesn't come from that place, there's a fine, I won't ask anyone attitude and that's that's what builds that um, load that women tend to carry around that says I can do everything and I mustn't ask for help Yeah I think it's a,
2: a, a great point we can also feel safe going to certain people. But what if there's a lot going on in that person's life, like your normal go-to person? What if they're actually not capable at that point in time of being available, generally speaking? So, yeah, it's a bit of a setup, isn't it? That if, if we find it difficult, one, to be vulnerable in asking for support and then you might have the person that you feel safest to go to and you go there but they're actually not available or they're not able to understand um, what is being asked and then you know there can be that reluctance then to um, ask ask again I, I see that so often I love what you're bringing up
1: and it's a really good point that you're both um, sharing on because it's, it's you know, support does come in so many different ways and it's, you know, I was amazed at just the support that came from all different angles, different people, people I hadn't heard, heard from for, for a really long time um it's it's really quite interesting um, you know when you're going through something like this, any illness or disease or any catastrophe, really. When we open ourselves up, um, the support is there. And that's, that's a really beautiful thing to to experience. But it is very easy, as Katie was saying, to kind of go, oh, okay, go into that protection and go, okay, no one's going to, you know, this person hasn't been able to support me, therefore uh, I won't ask. Mm. And I often share with women, it, it, it is a time, if you've always been one of those women who've gone on and done everything yourself yourself, Now's the time to ask for support. Now's the time to ask for help because that helps you in your own opening up and learning and growing as well. And you know, it's it's a big change for women, um, particularly they've been the one who's looked after everybody. They've looked after everyone else. I say so now's the time for you to look after you and to put yourself first. And that's
0: a big shift for a lot of women uh, and something quite big for them to to grasp. Absolutely. You know, once a year in this area um, around the Hornsby-Kurangai area, we run an International Women's Day event. And a couple of years ago, we asked where people put themselves on their list of priorities. And, um, Katie, I know you were part of that International Women's Day, and wasn't it extraordinary to see the outcome of that survey, which, which on the whole, 85% of people said that they put themselves last because it was the right thing to do was to put others before themselves. Mm,
2: and of those who said they did They've started putting themselves first more, a feeling of guilt coming up because they're doing so, which really, you know, if we're not feeling full within ourselves, if we're not feeling vital, what actually are we offering other people?
0: Yeah, I mean it's like offering hey look we're in a desert let me give you a glass of water but you know my my water is <laughs> empty but hey have some anyway the quality is going to be great. <laughs> no there's there's nothing in the glass or there's so little in the glass and the the yeah. resentment then of what you're offering another that you can't even give yourself it is um it just doesn't come with the same quality because you can't it can't be done in abundance which my sense is that you know when you have those life changing moments the thing that you most want to do is is actually deepen the self care with yourself because you realize all of a sudden how incredibly fragile your body is
1: absolutely lucy and you know i think it's important as well for the carers the people who are you know looking after those to to, to keep that in mind for themselves as well because too often you see uh, the primary carer um, again putting themselves you know, aside whilst they care for their person but they too have equally a lot of stress and they have stresses in, in a, perhaps a little bit different way in you know, a fear of losing the partner uh, of not doing enough, all of those sorts of things so super important for, for the carers to be caring for themselves first of all as well.
0: And those carers also have to see their loved one in pain, which is not easy, is it? No. Just watching someone knowing that actually you're pretty helpless, all you can do is do what you've been, you've been told to do, which is, you know, X, Y, and Z of the uh, regime, but ultimately it's the person who's experiencing it who is the, the patient and the, the one who is most in control of what they're feeling. Yeah, and often the
2: carers don't have that support too because yeah. the focus is on on the patient or the person going through it. Brought up if we look at it on a general perspective is a huge plague for women, especially in relation to that resentment um, that can come into parenting. And it's not just isolated to women. But if we aren't nurturing ourselves, if we are leaving ourselves right down the bottom of the list, so many women, especially that that talk about being a parent, that resentment can come in. So you know it's a real antidote for that in the sense of um, you know if you're if you're enjoying life and you're feeling more vital, then you're going to enjoy your relationship with your family, with your kids on a much deeper level.
1: What I was just feeling is as Katie was talking, it, it's you just feel the call for us as women to, doesn't matter if there's an illness or not but just that level of care for us to go to within ourselves um, fully then equips us to deal with life whether there's an illness disease whether there's anything really you know we all have our ups and downs in life and we're all faced with challenges regardless of what those challenges are but the deeper we we look after ourselves and care for ourselves then we're so better equipped to deal with what what comes to us Mm
0: what what would those steps look like the first of all there has to be a choice doesn't there to actually feel the vulnerability of yourself and to prioritize yourself in your life there has to be i would guess a moment where you go okay i'm 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 ready to consider the fact that perhaps i need to put myself higher up that list of priorities yeah you didn't You'd need to bring that awareness, wouldn't
2: you, for the shift to be there. Mm. Otherwise, the symptoms just come, be it feeling exhausted, be it starting to feel resentful towards your family, be it feeling that you're just always chasing time, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just like you would have to get, you know, get, to, and I know when I've worked on this myself, it's getting to that place where it was like, I can't do all of this that's being expected that I was expecting myself to do something has to give here and it was it was very much looking at where am I prioritizing myself in relation to everything that's being expected
0: takes a huge amount of honesty doesn't it really because we can tell ourselves anything we want to believe like no I'm being I'm fine I'm generous and then your body starts to break down that says hey well, I hear what you're saying to yourself, but I'm not quite on board. You know, I feel like I am actually a little bit tired. So, you know, what gives? Are you telling the truth or am I telling the truth? And chances are the body doesn't have the ability to sustain the um, adrenal exhaustion that your brain can tell you you're not experiencing.
2: Yeah, I think it's a very real, very honest conversation with yourself because society does, you know, paint a picture of, um, especially with a woman, of, you know, that, yeah, she can work, she can raise the kids, she can um, have the house looking a certain way, she can make sure all the kids are entertained and have after-school activities, et cetera, et cetera. But where in that picture does it talk about self-nurturing, self-care, and then, from that relationship with yourself, you'll you'll have you know a quality that you can offer people, et cetera. So you know you can understand, and we're not often seeing women a role model that way. I definitely know in my family. I just saw my mum staying up late, finishing everything off, making sure everything was right and she'd be tired in the morning. Um, so definitely it wasn't a relationship that I saw a woman living with herself.
0: I have been speaking with Katie Walls and Donna Giannotis, who are hosting a breast cancer retreat on Sunday, the 9th of September. In that last section, we were really getting to the nuts and bolts of how good we are at um, asking sometimes the wrong people for help. When we're so good at pretending that everything's fine. I always look at Facebook and say, hey, Everyone looks like they're having the most amazing life. They've got all the time in the world. They relax all the time. They're this, that, the other. But when you look at the statistics and when you t- look below the surface, very often people will say, "I posted that picture and I was incredibly depressed that day." So, when we're looking at who can ask us, who we can ask to help us when we have a diagnosis that means that we don't feel equipped to what's coming up in front of us. Then we have to potentially appreciate that we might uncover people who have looked like they're doing amazingly well, but might not have the capacity to help us in the way that we think that they would have. So the resentment and the bitterness that comes up in us, that they're not doing what they say they're going to do, or what they might have said they, they would do, um, It's worth addressing that and saying, okay, hold on one second, I have an expectation of that person that I've asked. Maybe they don't have the capacity to do it. Also, as a carer, we must look after our bodies. We must have a really great relationship with self-care. I mean, there are so many episodes on on the Stay in the Loop with Lucy blog post that talks about self-care. So, you know, go and have a look at them if you don't actually know what that might look like. But it's about... Understanding that our body is fragile and just because someone else's body has broken down and is more fragile it doesn't mean that we ever stop looking after our own so guardians of love I'm going to take you back to Katie and Donna and in this section we might ask ourselves where we put ourselves on the list why we put ourselves last And, you know, if we never stop that train, does it mean our bodies get more and more depleted and they're more and more prone to illness and disease? And what does that look like to the new generation? Great opportunity for us to talk about that here. The role models that we have in our own lives and in the women around us, we're each that role model, aren't we? So if we have an inkling that that's important rather than wait for someone else to do it, we can be that for ourselves and for others yeah it has to
2: start somewhere doesn't it and another conversation is making it very practical um a lady was sharing me with me the other week that she had a real aha kind of moment stop when a daughter looked at me and she said i don't don't know if i want kids and the mum said why is that she said well i look at you and i look at your life and i I don't think i want that Mm. And it was a real stop moment to go, whoa, okay, that's so not what she would want to be reflecting. Um, and it was quite devastating in one level, but it was such an amazing opportunity on another level.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, That's that's what I took in um, when my kids were growing up. I had a, I had a, um, a scare, a breast cancer scare, I guess you could say, and that's exactly what I thought. I thought, what kind of what kind of reflection am i offering to my children about what it is to be a woman no wonder they don't want to grow up to be a woman because i make it look hideous such hard work not fun not not pleasurable not um gorgeous and playful and yummy um and being a parent gosh, that that didn't look so hot back then either. And it, it does take a lot of honesty for us as women to be okay with not being perfect and not being great and then talking about that with each other so that we support each other as buddies and as friends, not with the judgment and comparison we might have grown up with amongst our girlfriends.
1: And, and I love what you're sharing, Lucy and Katie, because it's like in society, there's that whole notion of if you look after yourself, it's selfish. So it's it's having to break through that to change that paradigm of. That's totally not true Mm. (laughs) Um, because it hasn't worked because as the examples you've just given, um, you've both just given, we see that that doesn't work. You're staying up late to, you know, make the cakes or do the sewing or whatever whatever is needed um, at the detriment to your own health and well-being. Um, and we see that that doesn't work so this whole notion of um, self-care and self-love or putting self first, is selfish it needs to be broken because it, it doesn't work
0: so now there is a breast cancer care retreat coming up you're both involved and there are other presenters presenting with you is that correct Yes, yes. So there'll be um, Katie and myself will be
1: emceeing the day I'm also presenting around my experience with breast cancer and
0: um, Michelle Crow and Jean Gamble will also be presenting on the day. Okay, now uh, both of them have been on the show before and I believe that Michelle has spoken about her her um, breast cancer experience on the show and I know that Jean fantastically was, was with a person who on the show said she found it so difficult to ask for help and here she was in a very vulnerable position having no choice but to ask for help because she was too sick to even move when she started her chemo. So I can imagine for anyone um, going to the day they're going to get three very different approaches but probably something that everyone has experienced all three in their own way mm. and three very amazing women mm. with all different expressions all different
2: experiences I've learned a lot from from the three of them with their experiences um, and even how the cancer presented was quite different um, the stages of their lives that they were in so yeah, and look, I, I yeah, look forward to hearing more um, in relation to how they've um, grown, you know, within themselves throughout that experience. And then, every, you know, they, they, they've all talked about the, um, not only from the healing point
0: of view of the body, but how it's just deepened their relationship with themselves. And will there be, is it about, is it practical? What does the day look like for someone who's considering coming
1: So the day will consist of a series of presentations um, alongside some healing body, gentle body work therapy as well. Um, so in the presentations, each of the women will be presenting on a different angle and then that will lead to some discussion and group work amongst the women and then from there we'll then go to the tables they get to really deeply be nurtured and deeply rest with some um hands-on esoteric healing sessions as well um they'll also most likely be a little bit of meditation perhaps a little bit of movement just depending on um how the day goes
0: So it really is about slowing down. I mean, that's really what I see as a retreat, but I can't imagine doing it over a day. I imagine, you know, this weekend where you can languish around, but it does sound like you're going to give people the opportunity to go there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. With no sympathy either, <laughs> just to, no, just to absolutely hold the women in a deep level of care and love, but not going into that energy of being sympathetic or anything like that. Mm. So, all past, women being equal.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say in past retreats that we've had um, in different states. Um, that, you know, the women have really said, I've never been to something like this, you know, where it's just um, an opportunity to learn from each other, to learn from the presenters and to have the discussions as well. Um, and then over lunchtime, you know, they just loved, we had a big table set up, um, being able to continue those discussions and, and to have that hands-on healing as well um,
0: is not often presented for people. I think it sounds quite exciting and possibly that's the wrong word to use but if I'm if I'm going to use any word I would use the same word I would use about anything else I approached it sounds just if you're if you're talking about people not wanting to experience what it's like to be spoken to and without sympathy, this is your day, because that sounds like that's what that's what you're going to feel, and so your carers will be able to feel what it's like as well, and therefore will be inspired to give it a go, or actually for them to be able to find what support feels like for them, so that they can then not load their their, their buddy with with their sympathy. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Just an opportunity to be together, to learn from each other, and to really, you know, kind of treat yourself for a day. Really, and irrelevant of what stage you're at with your diagnosis, to be um, very held and very supported.
1: And it's also for women who currently been diagnosed, but also for women who may have had a diagnosis in the past. Um, So it's not just limited to people who currently have a diagnosis.
0: Yes, that's helpful, isn't it? Because I, I think if, you've, if you're through the treatment, you, it, never, it doesn't seem to leave the people that I know who've had breast cancer. It's always part of their um, conversation or their makeup or their, their concern about their own health.
1: Yeah, correct, and I think it's, you know, something that we can continue to learn from. Um, And, you know, for me, a big, and I can honestly say that going through breast cancer completely changed my life and I can look back and go, I'm actually really glad it happened because I learned so much from it and I've changed so much from how I was living before the breast cancer to how I live now. And it's just given me such a deeper level of, of quality of life so um, wow. you know we can always always
0: learn yeah. Wow that's um, I, I love the fact that you can say that and I can imagine there aren't that many people who would you know before they've had it uh, be able to say that in response to having a diagnosis of breast cancer but you can feel that in what you're sharing that there's there's genuine Appreciation, And, you know, obviously, I presume that you'd rather you didn't need that to get to the place where you are now. But um, in doing so, you're able to offer us um, an opportunity to learn how to self-nurture and not get the diagnosis potentially.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> yep.
0: So what are the things that you feel you have changed in your life now that you perhaps could? could have done regardless of breast cancer or no breast cancer
1: I guess everything we've been speaking about in terms of the, the self nurturing of you know I was one of these people who I always put everybody else first and Put myself at the end of the line, and even though I was young, you know, I was still I wasn't a parent or anything like that. But I was still always putting everybody first, and didn't listen to my body, didn't listen to all the signals that were showing me along the way. If I even look back to, you know, the years leading up to the breast cancer, there was lots of signals there in my body to actually stop, to slow down, um, to not live in such a way where I had a high level of anxiousness. Um, you know, my body was me rashes for me to sort of go okay have a look what's going on here and, and I, I guess I didn't listen to any of those things um, and, and all the push and the drive that I very much was living in but I didn't understand that there was another way at the time I didn't understand that there was any other way because that's all I'd ever sort of I guess when we spoke about role models earlier that was all that was ever role modeled to me um, and you know, people often say it's the cancer that really changed for me. It was going through chemotherapy that really changed things for me because it—I was, I was so ill that I had to actually stop, and um, I had to ask for help. I had to let others support me, and in that, I discovered a whole different relationship with myself that I hadn't had before. And I learned to move in a way where I was much more connected because I had to because otherwise I wouldn't be able to do anything the pushing no longer worked Mm. and then by not having much energy and I'd go into the push I realized that I wouldn't have any energy so I soon realized that actually it's much easier to to move to be in a way where I was connected with my body and, um, and and doing things, I guess, in a way that was much more self-nurturing, sort of more gentle, more caring. And that just felt so much better, even though I was going through chemotherapy. And it was interesting because at the end of the chemotherapy, I could feel myself starting to go into the drive. I'm like, oh, I'm starting to feel better. I can go back into my old patterns. But I actually stopped myself and went, hey, this didn't get you anywhere, so why would I go back into those patterns? So, you know, I had chemotherapy for about, I think it was about five months, and it was almost like, you know, I'll never wish that upon anyone, but it, it gave me the time to learn how to be different with myself and to build a different relationship with myself. And often I hear women say, oh, I just want to get back to life how it was before cancer, after they finished their, their treatment. But I, I decided, I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to go back to how life was before because that didn't work for me. So um, I made those changes and, um, and I continue to deepen in that all of the time. I, I never forget that. There's never a day that goes by where I'm de- deepening in, and, I guess, deepening in my quality of, of connection with myself. Oh, I love hearing you talk
2: yeah it's <laughs> it's just, and, and you can relate to so many different situations or diagnoses um, you know, obviously we're talking about breast cancer but not just that in saying well and i love yeah what you're sharing with donna it's like okay what could have contributed or how you know how have i been living in a way that you know i've had had this um come up or what else could be um you know could support me what else could be contributing etc and and not just feeling i suppose a victim of that but going okay yeah what else and i know that the same with with me whenever i've had i've had a few um health related things when i was younger and it really was a stop moment to go okay what what what's it teaching me as well what what's happening not just on a physical level with my body but what am i learning from this and my relationships and how i am how i'm with myself and others and um yeah you very much feel that donna from your experience and whenever you talk about your experiences
0: and you can really see the value of getting psychological support as well that it's it's understanding the patterns of behavior and the itching to get back to normal when normal is what got you there in the first place but on some level normal is what got you there so to want it back seems so illogical and yet the fear of the unknown or not knowing how to move or bring a deeper level of quality to your life is so freaky Friday that could we just go back to something I know I can cope with even if that is dysfunctional great point Mm, absolutely I take my hat off to your your dedication to not do that
1: Mm, uh, I think that's an element of what we bring through in the retreat is that we're not offering the woman to go back to what was her normal understanding that her normal isn't going to help moving forward so I guess for the women to experience could there be you know further things that they can do to support themselves moving forward so that they learn from their experience and go okay so now there's a whole nother level that I can go to in my relationship with myself. Um, so yeah, that's an element I guess that's offered in in the retreat,
0: a, a further point of, ref, of reflection for the women. It's funny because I could feel myself saying, okay, what is the checklist that they're going to get on the day? But it actually is a way of living and a way of moving. That's what you're going to be offering them is from what they can see in the way all of you have worked um, on yourselves and the changes that you've brought into your life. They'll be able to see in real life what that looks like and then they can make a decision. Do they? Does that look inspiring or actually... Are they doing just fine and they could just have a day off, and, um, you know, a day of being um, pampered and then go back to how they were? Yeah, great point. It's just like you can take it
2: as far as, as you want to go mm. with um, wherever you're at, whatever relates to you. Um, you know, it might be you leave with one main aspect that you've connected to or really like the hands on healing aspect or like the group discussion or, or the presentation et cetera. So, um, yeah, that, that
0: space is there to take of it and make of it what you, what you feel to. Mm. Amazing. Right. So what are the details if people do want to to go along? And, and is this the only opportunity? Are there other opportunities that happen from esoteric women's health throughout the year?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this retreat, as Katie mentioned earlier, has um, been held in other locations as well. Um, this is the first one that we'll be doing in Sydney, but our plan is to do one um, each year. So, um, so the, the, the details for the event is Sunday, the ninth of September. Uh, it goes it's a retreat day, so we we do have most of the day from nine thirty through to four o'clock. Um, and it's been held at eight view close in seven hills. Um, there's parking available for the women. Um, the investment for the day is $70 um, or $50. We do offer a concession understanding that sometimes um, there is financial difficulties often with women going through treatment. So there is the concession available for those. And then the women can bring along a carer or their primary carer at no charge. Um, bookings are essential and they're via the esoteric women's health website which is www.esotericwomenshealth.com forward slash events Um, and then if anybody would like any further information there is um, you know a flyer that's downloadable on that website as well
0: fabulous thank you very much are there any last words either of you would like to say about anything we've discussed or to leave the listeners with?
1: I'm really looking forward to the day and it's been great speaking about it with you both here because, uh, I mean, I was looking forward to it before but now I'm, I'm really super excited to be sharing with the women and and meeting the women who attend and, and having a really beautiful day together. so mm, And, yeah, especially hearing more from the
2: presenters and, and their life experiences and um, yeah, sharing that with everyone who will
0: be there. Fabulous. Thank you both very much. Thank you, Thank you Lucy.
1: Lucy. Thanks for having Thanks. us. It's been great to be here today. Thank you.
0: Well, I've been speaking with Katie Walls and Donna Giannotis about a breast cancer care retreat on the 9th of September from 9.30 to 4 p.m. in Seven Hills. Investment is $70 for the day with concessions available and the first care is free of charge. That's not an all-female event, so please consider if you know someone who would benefit from attending, then pass on the details. And Bookings are done through esotericwomenshealth.com forward slash events and will be linked on the blog post. Um, that I will put up a little later today. How interesting was it to hear Donna say that chemo was the stop that made her finally realize the connection to her body was so important, so important that the, the tenderness she needed to have with herself meant that she couldn't go very far. It was incredibly humbling, incredibly honest. So a very considered way to start your Sunday morning, I think, and an opportunity to feel how much more present and tender we can be with ourselves today, whatever your gender. Enjoy the scrummy that you are. Remember, it's not about the quantity of what you do, it's the quality that you do what you do in that will plant a seed that will come back to support you at another time. Quality in life lays foundations for quality of life. Next week's show is really going to unravel that word esoteric. I've got um, a doctor called Eunice Midford who's going to be talking about the marriage of esoteric and conventional medicine. So not one to be missed. Tune in live on Triple H 100.1 FM at 8.30am or listen later in the day via the Stay in the Loop with Lucy podcast, wherever you get them. Don't forget, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, tune in. It's always pertinent to remind ourselves that whatever has or is happening in our lives, we are and always will be us. I'm constantly learning, but underneath and in our essence, absolutely amazing. The key is to reconnect with that space and learn to build a relationship with our body that holds that essence so that you can recognize when your body's trying to tell you something's not quite right and seek support with the appropriate support service, and that could be mental or physical health. By listening and responding we can build the tools to address what we do not yet feel equipped to manage because of course most likely we do have the skills we just don't have the confidence to apply them and look for the support in the community i interview people all the time who share with you what support is out there so check it out it's time to open up to that support and learn to trust again And that way, we don't wait for life to come to us. We take ourselves to life and we be the change we want to see. Till next week's show, be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. You've been listening to Stay In The Loop With Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.